Harris Show podcast. I do these a couple of times a week. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts. You can also catch me live Sunday nights in St. Louis, 97.1 FM Talk, 7 to 9 p.m. St. Louis time, 5 to 7 Pacific, if you're still in the Vegas area where I did most of my radio career. Had a great conversation this week with three-star general Keith Kellogg, who served in the Trump White House. Obviously, he served with distinction in the American Army prior to that, got quite a distinguished career, but wrote a book recently about his time in the Trump White House. In case you missed my live broadcast, I wanted you to get a chance to hear from the general. General Kellogg, thanks for being here. It is an honor to speak to you, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Last night, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's also a three-star general, Lieutenant General Buck Bedard, United States Marine Corps. Do you know him, sir? Because your name came up. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah, great. great. Well, look, tell him hello for me. Yes. Yeah, he's fantastic. He gave you the highest praise. He said, good guy, good guy. Yeah, that's a gift. You tell Buck thanks very much. It's always good to hear from a, a, you know, a fellow service member, fellow, you know, a former Marine. Uh, It's a good line. Good, good guy. Yeah, he's got a lot of respect for you, that's for sure. So I loved the book, and I'm not going to give away everything. You talk a little bit about your life prior to joining the military. You had an incredibly distinguished career. You don't say that, but I know that's true from other sources. And you do talk a little bit about that in your book. And then you went into the private sector and then somehow got sucked into being involved in the Trump campaign. Let's talk a little bit about that, and then we'll go back to some military stuff. Yeah, well, what happened when I, I fell out the military, I went into the business world, and then after about 10 years, I said, you know, let's see if there's something else out there. And I went to a guy named Jack Keene, who's uh, he's on, we see him on Fox a lot, uh, and he's an old friend, and I sat down and talked to him. He said, have you ever thought about being a political advisor to a, a presidential candidate? And I said, no, but it's interesting. He said, well, like I know, too. I know Jeb Bush, and I know Hillary Clinton. I said, well, nope, neither one works for me. <laughs> And, you know, the guy I like is this guy, Donald Trump. And he goes, no, nah, that doesn't work for me because I don't know him. So what I did is I said, I'm going to go up there and, you know, try to contact him, see if I could help him out and, during the middle of this campaign because he was running against 17 other candidates at the time. Went up to New York City, pounded on a few doors, so I finally got in and talked to him and sat down and talked to him. And and uh, and he said, well, mm, I think okay. And I think I said, look, it's not going to cost you anything. I want to do a pro bono. And he said, oh, you're hired. You know, and he's a businessman. I said, I gave free free work. You got out of it. But I got to know him really well. And I really enjoyed being around him on a very, very personal level. And for two years during the campaign, we got to know each other. I flew on what we affectionately call Trump Force One uh, and working on the national security issues with him. And it was a really small team. You know, we when we were on Trump Force One, we probably had six or seven people traveling at any one time. And I just thought he had the right view for America because he's uniquely pro-American. He had incredibly good instincts. He had a great empathy for the American people. He loved Americans and loved American service members. But he would sometimes, you know, when we'd go in front of people, the news organizations, you know, he had some pretty harsh comments. In fact, the first time I was with him when he went to a news conference, I was sitting with him in an office talking. Then we went out in the news conference, started on top of myself, who is that guy? Because he would speak in different terms because it was his showman coming out. But individually, my, when I wrote the book, my daughter said, you ought to write it behind closed, as titled Behind Closed Doors, because individually he had a lot of empathy. He loved Americans, loved the American way of life, had tremendous respect for the U.S. military. And he, he was one of those guys that said, I just want to be around and help him you know, challenge the current institutions of America, the way the bureaucracy is set up, because we challenged every single assumption that the establishment had out there, because his first goal was to make sure 
whatever we did was right for Americans. That was a, that was a driving goal that we had every single time. That's so important. We're speaking with Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg. His brand new book's called War by Other Means, A General in the Trump White House. Excellent book. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Let's go back to something you said about Vietnam. You talked about those who stayed in the Army after Vietnam and how you had an overriding desire that in all future conflicts, we have a well-articulated, achievable aim for victory. That's a quote right out of your book. Talk about Afghanistan and how not having achievable aims or well-articulated aims uh, affected things like Afghanistan. Yeah, when, well, I was very fortunate in Vietnam that I had some really great commanders that I worked for, and, and I saw how, how, what right looked like. David Grange, the, the senior, who uh, was an incredibly talented officer, Lino uh, Barsani, who was a commanding general I worked with, who received you know, seven Purple Hearts in his lifetime for wounds received in action. I saw what right looked like, and you go fast forward, and I started questioning the senior leadership and, and with their accountability and what their decision-making was when we went into the White House. Because I, I was a big believer in the old Powell Doctrine. Powell Doctrine, when he was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff years ago, was, you know, if you fight, you fight to win. You fight using overwhelming strength. You bring the American people with you to make sure they are committed to it. And then you have a defined end state. And that didn't happen at the senior levels in Vietnam, and it didn't happen in Afghanistan as well. And that really got me a little bit, you know, upset and got President Trump upset as well. And we used to sit and I used to tell him, you know, Mr. President, don't always listen to your general officers. They don't always have it right. And sometimes they've got it fundamentally and totally wrong. And I think our senior leaders got that wrong in Afghanistan because they got so fixated on Afghanistan and counterterrorism that they forgot to look at the flanks. They looked the Russian to one side and the China to the other side. Russia was a, a, an existential threat at the start, and China was an emerging threat. And we got so focused on the Middle East, we forgot about those threats. And, and I tell people, they go, well, no, no, Kelly, you can't be right about that. I say, wait a second, I'll make it really simple. I'll give you one example, and one example tells it all. Weapons that define warfare, machine guns, the submarine, the airplane, the tank. The Chinese and the Russians both have hypersonic missiles right now, active batteries. We're still in the R&D phase. Why? How did it happen that they, they got way ahead of us, and now they're going, yeah, the Chinese and the Russians are ahead of us? Well, why? Because we were fixated on the wrong things. Trump saw that, and, and he tried to correct it, and he had a lot of pushback from the senior officers in, in the military. Not the great, the absolutely incredibly great young men and women we have at the junior ranks, but the senior ranks. And I, and I think what bothered me more was lack of accountability. You know, if you're in the military and you lose a rifle, you're held accountable. If you're a ship captain in the middle of the night and you're sound asleep at 3 o'clock and the officer of the watch runs into something, generally you receive. But we lose a 20-year war, billions, hundreds of billions of dollars spent, thousands killed, thousands more wounded, and nobody is accountable and nobody worries about it. And you kind of say, well, what's for breakfast tomorrow? I'm stunned by that. That's true. We're speaking with Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, his brand new book, War by Other Means, A General in the Trump White House. When you were advising President Trump, do you think that he was surprised at the pushback that he received from, because, you know, as a person looking from the outside, you might think, oh, great, well, you know, we have the greatest military in the world. We want to fight to win. We want to do what, just what you mentioned, General Kellogg. We want to fight to win. You know, we were overwhelming force. This is what we can do. We're America. And do you think he was surprised by the fact that there wasn't the will to fight and win at all costs among the military brass or or was he was he more disgusted or was he more surprised i think he was more surprised and i was a little, uh, more surprised than he was because you would think at the senior leader level that 
they would be more committed to the fight. And, and, and I think that's what hurt us with Afghanistan is because we came up with a mental frame of mind that uh, stalemate was okay and not winning was okay and just drag it out. And, and the people that served in Afghanistan over 20 years eventually matured up to senior officer levels. And I know that I, I probably step on some people's toes, and the fact is I'm probably not going to be invited to anybody's New Year's Day. <laughs> but I said, you know, our job is to make sure we take care of America and the people of America. And the young and men, women and women are willing to fight for America that are out there. And if we don't do that, then we are violating our role in life. And the president was surprised that a lot of others didn't see the world as he saw it because he was uniquely American. He would always say what's more important to me is what happens in Washington, Kansas, and in Washington, D.C. And he loved the American men and women at arms. I mean, incredible uh, support for them. Uh, you know, when we went, came into, into the White House, the only two departments that actually gained the money was the Defense Department and the Veterans Administration. And, and when he saw that in the leadership, I think he was disappointed. And then when we got to the end of it, with some of the actions that Mark Milley took, I thought were really disturbing to me. In fact, I told, actually told Mark, I think you're we actually being seditious. Um, you forgot what Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution says and who the unitary commander-in-chief is, and it's the president. And you didn't get an electoral college vote, so neither did I. And your role as principal military advisor is not commander. Uh, and I think they made that mistake. I think a lot of them done. And I, and I blame them to a degree for what happened to Afghanistan and the inability to get out of there in a proper manner. It's really amazing what's happened. We're speaking with Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, his brand new book, War by Other Means, A General in the Trump White House. Your daughter, your son, do I have this correct, and your son-in-law all served in Afghanistan? Yeah, they did. In fact, uh, my daughter was uh, uh, yeah, was decorated in Afghanistan. My son served as a young platoon leader in the Army's 82nd there. And my daughter was part of the 82nd. She was part of the regular detachment there. Uh, and then my son-in-law served a grand total of six tours three in Afghanistan, three in Iraq. He was with the Rangers, and the Rangers did different tours. Their tours, tours generally run between four and six months each time. But it was enough where, he, you know, it all counted for six different tours of duty over there. Uh, and two of them are still in. Uh, my son is still, he's deployed again right now. He's with the 1st Infantry Division, and my son-in-law is part of the old guard here in Washington, D.C. Oh. And I got out and started work with veterans, and she got her doctorate degree from Columbia and started working with vets. And um, so, and, and I'm very, very proud of them for what they did, and uh, they, they just kind of continued the faith in, in America going forward. That's incredible. I recently read Tom Cotton's book about the Old Guard. Wow. What, what an amazing group. Uh, they're all amazing, of course, but the Old Guard, I really did not know how hard it is to get in and all the training they have to go. Talk a little bit about that, General. Yeah, they're, they're great. I mean, my son, you see it all the time. I mean, these guys are the, uh, they call them, you know, the president's presidential guard, you know, they're the ones who are in all the ceremonies with the president. Is You know, they group together the Marines, the Air Force, the Coast Guard, the Navy, and the, and the infantry and the old guard together. Uh, and it's really, a, it's a pretty proud unit. It's one of the oldest units in the United States Army, but they, here in Washington, D.C., you see them, even though they're an infantry unit, and they do all the infantry things, they still have all the, all the ceremonial stuff that you see in the White House. And it's very, very, uh, since they're on... Actually, we say you're on parade 24 hours a day. Uh, you see them out there, and they have to represent the United States military in a very, very public stance out there. And uh, it's, it, it's kind of fun to watch it because the, uh, the physical training they have to go through, uh, how they have their uniforms. They, they actually wear special uniforms, which is funny. It's, uh, because in the heat of the summer, the cold of the winter, they tear them. And, 
they basically have multiple uniforms. They have to wear to make sure they're right. I said, boy, you guys are doing a, you guys are doing God's duty out there. I said, just give me some dirt and mud, and I'm fine. Yeah. You, you know, you guys have to do the ceremonial stuff. But that's <laughs> yeah. stuff. What is it about glad military people? Military people seem to be impervious to weather, General. I, 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 is that something that comes in boot camp, or what happens? No, I think it comes. I think sometimes, tongue in cheek, sometimes you're not as smart as the average bear. <laughs> I did. Honestly, I did it because I actually loved it. And I loved. I just loved being about around the great men and women that, that were out there. And here's the way I looked at it: is America gives the military the most precious resource they have. They give you their sons and daughters sight unseen. They don't right. know who you, but they trust you to lead them right. And sometimes they know you're going to take them the harm's way, and they, they trust you to get it done right. And I used to tell my senior officers that. That, and I even said that in, in government. Look, when we make decisions, we are making decisions for America. And they've got to be good decisions. And, hard, and, and if they're not good for America, then they're not good decisions. And I was really proud of the Trump administration. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I wrote the book, because it was a caricature about Donald Trump being very loud and pretty brash. But, but his decisions, I don't care if it was immigration or if it was trade or if it was counting terrorism, be it ISIS or the Iranians with Soleimani, or, uh, or developing the military, or even what we did in COVID, I was really proud of the decisions and the, and the process and the things we did, the process we did for America. I think we came out of it pretty good. And I, and I tell people, look, you can challenge me on what he would say, but challenge me on our programs and tell me where our programs were wrong. And they really can't do that. Right. It, it's, that's absolutely true. I mean, I do believe that his instincts were better than a lot of folks, and he certainly cared about America more than anything else. And unfortunately, we don't see that happening as much today. We're speaking with Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, his brand new book, War by Other Means, A General in the Trump White House. One more thing about Afghanistan. Well, more than one thing about Afghanistan. If, if the point was to keep an eye on terrorists over there, I can understand us being there. But I think we veered off, and I've heard you talk about this. We veered off when it came to nation building. I mean, it's not our job to try to change a culture. Can you expand on that, General? Yeah. In fact, that's I had a huge discussion with Mark Milley and everybody else. See, we have really lost our way when, when we came to nation building and working nation building. Afghanistan was probably the worst place in the world to even try to do that. And, and people would throw back on me and say, well, what about Japan after World War II, and what about Germany? I said, look, to start with, we handled it differently. How we control that with, you know, when you look at who we put in charge, like Douglas MacArthur um, in Japan and then Clay in, in Germany. But they're also homogeneous. You know, East Germans were like West Germans. They were Germans. And North Korean, uh, were, uh, I'm sorry, Japanese were Japanese. They were a homogeneous society. When you go into Afghanistan, you've got the Tajiks and the Pashtuns, and the Uzbeks, and they have not been tamed at all. In fact, you go back to 327 B.C. with Alexander the Great, he failed, then the British failed, and the Russians failed. You know, Afghanistan's got the moniker Graveyard of Empires for a pretty good reason. And I said, when we went in there, there has to be a way to come out of that place. So what we tried to do was come up with a negotiated settlement, because we believe that was the only way to get out of that place. And we actually started working, it took us two years to do it, but we finally started working with the Taliban, because we got their chief negotiator, uh, Mullah Baradar, out of a ta- Pakistani jail, and we put together uh, basically a conditions-based agreement with Baradar that we signed on 29 um, February 2020. But it was the key part. It was on the 3rd of March, just a few days after we signed it. Trump picks up the phone and calls Baradar, 
and he talks to him, and it's it translated. But I'm sitting in the Oval Office listening to this discussion, thinking, good Lord, how's this being translated? Because President Trump told Barada, no uncertain terms, what would happen if they violated the agreement? And he would use the full force of the United States on them. And, and, and I thought, wow, okay, he made it pretty clear to him what would happen. Because of that, from February of 2020 till January 2021, not a single American was killed in Afghanistan. Not one. Yeah. And because they understand force respect out That's there. it. That's all they, they understand. Right. Yeah. And they, we, had a, we had a conditions-based agreement, and everybody agrees to that. And then Biden comes in, he gives it a, uh, a date-based agreement, a uh, date-based, 31 August, and Taliban just went wild because Biden didn't even talk to him. But President Biden never took the phone and called the Taliban. We negotiated that way. In fact, at one time, Trump wanted to bring the Taliban and Ghani into Camp David, and people nearly fell out of their chairs in the situation. And I said, wait a second. Carter did that with Sadat of Egypt and mm-hmm. Menachem Begin of Israel, took him up to Camp David for 12 days and made him a hammer-out agreement. I mean, if he fed him cold pizza, pizza and warm beer, and he said, you come out with an agreement, and they did. He just wanted to have an agreement that everybody could live with. It wasn't a perfect agreement, but Afghanistan would not be what we're seeing today uh, if we had, if we were still there because we had a pretty good reason on how to fix it. And we would have kept the troops there. We would have kept 2,500 troops there, 3,000 paramilitary, the CIA, 5,000 NATO troops. We would have kept Bagram Air Base over with the, with the uh, air support until an agreement was made. What does it say, General? We're speaking with Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg, War by Other Means, as his new book, A General in the Trump White House. What does it say to the world when clearly nobody's minding the storm? I mean, there's nobody at the helm of the ship of America. Biden goes out, they prop him up, they embalm him, or whatever it is they do. Uh, the man's clearly half out of his mind. I don't really know who's running the country, but our enemies are clearly uh, emboldened by what's happening. What do you think they're thinking? Yeah, look, I've said this, and I've said this publicly in, in some news organizations. What my biggest concern, and I was asked on the Fox News what, what I'm concerned about, and I said lack of will of the President of the United States and the company of the President of the United States. And I said that over six months ago because I'm worried about his inability to, to operate in that exactly. environment. And mm-hmm. people are going to say, oh, that's a terrible thing to say. See, I know it's a terrible thing to say, and it's a hard thing to say. But look, his track record is terrible. I'm a big believer. Buck could probably tell you the same thing about what you do is, you, you know, what you look at patterns in people that right. do stuff how they drive to the store or what they buy or whatever. And, and, and Biden has picked up certain patterns. I mean, this is the same guy when they sat in the Situation Room when they were going to get ready to go after Osama bin Laden under the Obama White House that he said, let's not do it. He didn't support the decision to go. This is the same guy that Bob Gates, who was the Secretary of Defense and former director of the CIA, said Joe Biden's been wrong on nearly every national security decision in over 40 years. The same guy that President Obama said never underestimate the ability of Joe Biden to screw stuff up. He used the word other than screw. I mean, this is a guy who has a pattern of inability to make the hard decisions. And right now he's making no decisions. So my biggest fear is we've got an administration that is frankly whistling past the graveyard and hoping that Americans won't pick up on it and won't worry about it tomorrow. I think the thing that's going to come to a head is, is watch this thing with immigration, this whole caravan coming from the south and see what happens. And if they let them through the borders, that just tells you clearly we do not have a government in charge. Uh, we don't have any confidence there. The adults are not in the room. There's no adults in the room. Uh, and there's an inability to make hard decisions and ensure accountability. And I think that should be very concerning to a lot of Americans. 
Well, it should be. We're speaking with Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg. You know, it's interesting, General. There were just were the folks in the Pentagon were just warning the other day about possibility of attacks. We know we're going to have attacks. We don't know how many sleeper cells are in America. We don't know who was on those planes. I mean, here here we are, the most powerful military in the world, and we can't even secure a runway. I mean, it's crazy land. We don't know who ran for the planes. We don't know if they've been vetted. We don't know if they're healthy. We don't know what their motivation is. I mean, that's frightening. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. I tell people, if you really want to look at the uh, the evacuation, look at that picture of the very first airplane that left Karzai International Airport. There was a there is a picture out there, and it shows the people inside the airplane. Eighty percent of them are men. Right. Like, right. Whatever. The Titanic idea of women and children first. <laughs> <laughs> right. That ain't going to happen. But, you know, what's interesting, too, is that who are those people? It wasn't like it was full of, you know, people with, uh, you know, frailties or seniors or women or children. As you mentioned, we're talking about young men of fighting age, not saying they're all here to do us harm. We don't know. Yeah, we didn't do any vetting at all. And if anybody tells you they did, they didn't. Uh, I, I know that for an absolute fact. They just put them on airplanes and flew them out of there. And then you have no idea who you got, you know, and, and they could be anything from criminals to the terrorists that we just don't know. And because of that vetting, the lack of vetting, it should concern everybody out of it. And concern things to include the southern border because we have nobody who's come, we have no idea who's coming through there. So, I mean, this this whole administration, and it is quite disturbing, has kind of put American security on the back burner. And that's where I hope Americans kind of say, okay, what is really happening with us? And pay attention to it because it is our country, and I think I'm, I'm worried about it. I've got kids, and I've got grandkids, and I think everybody who's got kids, grandkids, or friends, and parents, they should be concerned about it. That's true. We're speaking with Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg's brand new book, "War by Other Means: A General in the Trump White House." What surprised you the most about being in the White House? I mean, obviously, you'd been around a lot of very high-ranking people as a three-star general, clearly, uh, in the private sector for a lot of years. Uh, but here you were in in a totally different capacity here with the president around these big decision makers. What surprised you the most about what went on behind the scenes, uh, the people, what was said? You know, if I'm just a person walking in, what would have surprised me the most? I think what would surprise, what surprised me and surprised most, was the fact that there were people on board that were there for reasons other than than being true patriots and helping the United States of America. They had their own agendas, and I mm. saw a lot of people agendas. And I would remind people almost continually the first six months we were in there, you all didn't receive a single single electoral college vote. The right. President, the, <laughs> you were not give our best advice to the president and the vice president. And once we give our advice, once they make a decision, our job is to implement that decision. A lot of people thought, well, just when they make that decision, that's a bad decision. I'm not going to follow it. And I was stunned by that, that the people, and it was, they came out of the bureaucracy. And it was a, very, very candidly, it was a hard lesson for us to learn, that, those of us that were on the campaign trail early, that there were people out there that were not really, that had really not bought in to what we were trying to do and the concept of and the philosophy of governance that we had. And, and I saw that early on. We were able to get rid of most of them out there. But that's the reason why there was so much uh, turmoil initially uh, within the White House because, you know, and I mean, this is a harsh thing to say, and I was there, is we didn't bring in the right people at the very start. We brought in people we thought were the right people, but we didn't really know that they had their own agenda. And I said, well, you know, you really don't really understand how the government works or what we need to do. No, no, no. We fully understood what the philosophy of government was. That's when we knew what we were trying to do. And we 
we worked it really hard. And by the way, that was, that, was, that was across all agencies. I don't care if it was defense. I don't care if it was state. I don't care if it was DHS. I don't care if it was the interior. There were people out there that had their own thoughts of what they should, government should look like. Uh, and and that, was probably, that was probably the biggest thing that I saw. It took the president about, oh, probably about six months until he really realized what was going on. Of course, I was kept pounding on him about it, and he would, you know, there were times he'd go, yeah, okay. And I think, of course, and I, I'm surprised he kept me around for the entire time he did. You know, <laughs> I, to, I, I learned the lesson how you talk to him. You go when he's one-on-one, and you sit down and talk to him, and you say, you know, hey, let me tell you what's happening. But if he told me, I'll be honest, if he said to me, okay, if, if he says I want to send pigs to the moon, I'd say, you know, Mr. President, that's probably not a good idea. But if he says the decision to send pigs to the moon, I said, okay, uh, how do you want to send I'll figure out how to do it. Right. And there were a lot of people there who would, would work against them early on. And I don't think it was good for him. And that's the reason why, at the end of the day, I feel very good about a lot of the things we did. Again, with everything from terrorism to, to trade to immigration to the Middle East, I, I was pretty proud of the end state when we walked out of there on the 20th of January. Yeah, and I'm fine, General, with our enemies thinking Trump's crazy. I don't care if that if that keeps their bullets in the you know in their pockets. I'm good with that, yeah. sir. Yeah, so am I. He used language. I told him one time. I said, "You're a lot like Winston Churchill," and he goes, "What?" And I go, "Look." I was, I'm a big student of Winston Churchill. I said, Winston Churchill did the same thing. In 1940, you know, the great line was Winston Churchill. He went before the House of, House of Commons and told him that they had some 80% of the U-boats, the submarines in the North Atlantic. And the admiral told him after he finished the uh, speech, we've only sunk 10%. Well, he said, well, look, you sink them in two places. I sink them, I, I sink them in the House of uh, Commons. You sink them in the North Sea. And I'm sinking them about five times faster than you are. So get on it. His point was you have to be positive. People. And that's what we tried to do during the COVID crisis. And other times we were out here, the president wanted to be very, very positive to the American people. It's easy to be a downer. It's, it's, more, it's more difficult to be positive. But this is a great nation. And he knows it's a great nation. We want to make, remind Americans every single day, we are a very unique people. We're a great people. And I'm not going to tear this nation down. I'm going to tell you honestly where I stand, what I feel, and we're going to keep advancing the cause of America. Of America. Absolutely. Lieutenant General Kellogg, it has been a privilege talking to you, sir. Thank you so much for your service. And I promise to pass on uh, your hello to Lieutenant General Buck Bedard, and I'll buy him a drink for you. How's that sound? Yeah, you tell that old Marine uh, best wishes, okay? I will do so. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. What a nice guy. Pick up his book. It's called War by Other Means, A General in the Trump White House. Pretty eye-opening. Ah, really fun talking to people like that. Really, that's the most fun part of my career over the years. The people I've gotten to meet like him, real heroes. What a thrill. I'm Heidi Harris. Don't forget to join me Sunday nights live in St. Louis, 7 to 9 p.m. St. Louis time. You can find all the information out at HeidiHarris.com, HeidiHarris.com. I'm also doing a fun thing called Headlines with Heidi. Every morning I sit down and go through the local headlines and some of the national headlines. Do about 15, 20 minutes. I post it on YouTube. You can find that at Heidi Harris Show on YouTube. Or you can find that also at HeidiHarris.com. Until we meet again, remember, you were created for a purpose. Here's Tony Scott.